Hey, Foreclosure Fix family, and welcome to another episode of the Foreclosure Fix podcast, where our goal is to help 1 million homeowners successfully navigate foreclosure. If the mission to help a million homeowners resonates with you, please do us a favor, like, subscribe, leave us a review, and share the podcast with someone who you know can help. I am excited today because I have a good friend on the podcast, Dave Putz. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Hey, I, I'm appreciative of, of having you on. I know I see you at conferences. Um, we, we talk about a lot of different things and different masterminds. And one of the things that I know you have experience with in your background is someone who was a landlord um, and a rehabber, right, who now is in the note investing space. And we want to dive deep today into landlords who may be facing foreclosure and what their exit strategies look like and things like that. I'm glad to do it. Being a landlord, ex-landlord myself, I can definitely relate to a lot of those problems, issues, concerns, and being scared. Hey, Dave, I don't know if you're an ex-landlord. You know, once a landlord, always a landlord. Like, you still have those scars and battle wounds with you, right? So, <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's back up a little bit, Dave. And, and I kind of gave your introduction at a very, very high level. But do us a favor and let our audience know how you and your company interact with people who are facing foreclosure. Absolutely. So in 2005, I became a landlord because I thought it'd be great to do, right? Getting in the real estate space was really exciting. And uh, I, I slowly learned some of the issues and problems that came to it. And in 2010, I got introduced to the being a lender side of the space. Still being a landlord and dealing with the issues, I then converted over to this idea of the short sale world, which was really popular at that time, and then converted over to actually becoming a lender. And what we start doing is becoming a lender by either buying existing notes or creating notes ourselves. And where I was working at, the fund was a very large fund that grew very, very big. But the primary focus was how do I become a lender and become the actual owner of the debt in that position? Coming from a landlord position, I was amazed that this side was actually available. I never knew that people, a mom and pop or myself, could own debt on a property. So we started working on this, and that's what I slowly learned. Becoming a landlord was a very lucrative, but also very struggling process. And in 2014, I sold my last uh, rental property. What I learned in that process was that as much as you get the appreciation, depreciation of the landlord, headaches and struggles are real. Dealing with the day-to-day tenant or struggle with the tenant or just the frustration of dealing with stuff can be overwhelming. If you don't have a lot of properties, you're doing things yourself. Even if you do have a property manager, you're depending on somebody that you may not know to manage issues, problems, may not be as quick as you would or do it the way you would do on a house that you own. And that just became something I just did not feel comfortable with. And what we ran into was the fact that it just became problematic. We have plenty of stories that are battle wounds that people just can relate to. You know, late payments, how do you deal with a mother who has a young child and lost her job and all the emotional factors, then you still have to make a mortgage payment on that property if you don't own it. And those things boil up to a point where we just can't do it anymore. Um, and some landlords can do it, some can't. And if you don't have that edge to you, it becomes difficult. And then I created the idea of becoming a note buyer. Um, I started buying my first note personally in 2012 and started working my way up. And in 2015, created my company, 
which we buy and sell mortgage notes nationwide. In that space, we started learning about education and tools and automation and things like that. So our world went into the notes and got away from landlording to a point. However, we still, some of my companies still own some rental properties in default when we foreclose on somebody. We have a tenant still in that property that we continue to abide by the lease agreements, which we have to. Well, Dave, that was a great background and and gave our listeners good context about your history, right? And so as a landlord myself, I can definitely empathize uh, and commiserate with you around the challenges. Uh, Literally just this week, we got like a 15 page report from the housing authority on a unit that we literally renovated last year. And the 15-page report was all of the defective items in the house, you know, that the tenant who's been there about a year and some change has already messed up. And so, you know, when you talk about reserve budget and you talk about, you know, the the, the fact that people can just tear up your stuff, I I empathize and I understand it 100%. In, today, in today's world, especially over the last few years, real estate has gotten very pro- popular. And one of the things that you hear a lot about are, you know, landlords who are new to it. And you have the Burr strategy that has been made famous by Bigger Pockets. And you have people who are looking for other areas to grow their wealth and they look to real estate as real estate investors. And so what are some of the signs that you see for landlords who are on the verge of becoming delinquent and facing foreclosure? And so- I guess my best way of telling stuff is a storyteller, right? I'll share a personal experience we had with a landlord that we actually own the note on. Um, this this person was going dark on us. We were trying to connect with them just to find out why they're de- delinquent. Uh, we did a door knock on the property and the tenant answered the door and said, I haven't spoke to my landlord in quite some time. And we couldn't figure out why. They said they're making the payments. Everything looked good. We then did a door knock on the landlord's property. Um, and without getting into too much detail, we finally got a hold of the person. She'd gone to a local RIA, heard about this idea of buying properties and renting it out. And she owned a property in an HOA community and she was collecting right payments. Her problem is she had no clue about the accounting part. She had no clue about how to manage dish issues, problems, fixing repairs, didn't have a maintenance guy, no local, all the little things that go into owning a rental property, a single unit the struggles that come about with that. So what happened was this person thought about the goodness of having a property paid down by a tenant. However, when it came time to do the issues, that person didn't know what to do and froze. So what unfortunately I did was collect rent payments and didn't answer any phone calls and didn't do anything. So what we did is we stepped in here and said, okay, we're going to help you through this process of finding a maintenance person. We want to, we, as a, so those who are maybe landlords out there, lenders like ourselves want to work with you to get that property up and running because we don't want to be the landlord. We don't want to foreclose. We want a position where you're making the payment from the tenant paying you. That's great for us. So what we did is we worked with her to create a process of what she should do in the scenario, how to communicate with the tenant, let the tenant know that she doesn't know something, let the tenant know that she's a, she's a new landlord, and how to go through that process of becoming of visits as a landlord versus just an investor on a single property. Gotcha. So what I hear you saying is that 
some of the symptoms you see for those people who are going to probably end up defaulting as landlords are a lack of knowledge about what it really means to be a landlord, a, a lack of a team to help manage the property properly. And in addition to that, just the fear that we see with all type of borrowers when they have gotten in over their head and they just don't know what to do. Yeah, fear is a big, big animal, right? In anything. As an investor, I'm a fearful person at times. As in a landlord, you can be very, very fearful. And I think for tenants and lenders, the, one of the biggest features is the fact that we have to make sure that we communicate with each other. You know, we have plenty of stories doing this for over a decade of buying notes and being a, a landlord for about nine years direct. Communication is such a, a scary, but also crucial part of it. If you don't communicate with the other person, they don't know what it is. And sometimes the boogeyman that you're worried about isn't as scary as you may think it is. Did she just communicate with the tenant on her first time? That tenant may be able to tell her that they have a handyman they've worked with in the past. Or maybe able to help her and say, listen, let me see if I can find something for you. That communication with the tenant or the communication with us who we're trying to reach out to her, she shut down, which is the worst thing that she could have done. So I would definitely say, you know, being a landlord, it's scary. We had another story where a landlord went ahead and she rinsed the property out and the property got destroyed, really badly destroyed. The pool was a mess. The house was destroyed. The person had animals who destroyed the house. And all that came to the fact that now she was underwater and her husband got sick and got in a situation that she could not afford the property. The tenant moved out and left the house destroyed. We did the right thing, communicated with us, right? She worked with us to see what we can do to help fix it if we could. In some situations, we can help. Some situations we can, but communication, if she did not communicate with us, it would just prolong the process and fought us along the way, which it's not about being a fight. It's about being able to afford it. The first landlord could afford our mortgage payment. She was collecting a whole lot more, double what our mortgage payment was, which is great. The other one didn't know how to find landlord, uh, a tenant, and did not have to fix the property up, and did have the income to help out with self because the, the the husband got sick. So those are two different scenarios that if communication just had, we can solve things pretty quickly and reasonably. Well, Dave, one of the things that I always think about when I am investing in real estate, and I think a lot of newer landlords don't really understand this, is the ability to have enough reserves. A lot of times, you know, we we have this pie in the sky, rosy glasses view of what real estate investing is like. And real estate investing is a long-term game, especially when you're buying property, you want it to cash flow and things like that. But we all know one water heater, one HVAC system, one roof, one bad tenant can kill your whole cash flow for a year or even more, right? And so it's definitely a long-term game. So having that reserve as a landlord is so important. The other part, though, is being able to really evaluate the property. Um, and what I've seen a lot of landlords do in the last few years is take on loans that have higher interest rates, which is already challenging, but then also assume either not only rent appreciation, but also property appreciation. And those assumptions, especially in this current interest rate environment, have been very challenging. You see it a lot on the multifamily side for large multifamily, but even down to the single family property, the person who owns one or two properties, you know, those mistakes can definitely have people having negative cash flow each month. 
And if you find yourself in a situation where you have negative cash flow, you have limited or no reserves, and you have vacancy for a few months, you can really find yourself in a ward of hurt. And that's where Dave is saying it's so important as a landlord, if you are in that situation where you can see the kind of the, the, the storm coming, that you start communicating early and often. Yeah. Yeah. And you could put, you can speak to us about putting, you know, hey, listen, I just don't have the money to do something right now. Can we just take some of the money I owe you and put it to the back end of the loan? We can absolutely do that. Right. There's so many options when communication happens and reserve is a big thing in any space. We're a big, you know, my family's a big Dave Ramsey fan, which is about budgeting and planning and, and goal setting. And what we realize is that we always think that when we're going to go to a casino, we're going to win all the money in the world. Right. But if we go there with all the money in the world, and we spend it all and then we come home, we have a flat tire and we didn't plan for that. That's a problem. So you got to make sure that you understand the fact that it's, you know, all the stories at the Rias and some of that out there is great and wonderful. However, things have happened just to tenants and to landlords. The water heater goes, something comes up. So you need to make sure that you're not just cutting it thin, right? Because that's where you're going to cause problems. If you're cutting it too thin, you're going to have issues. So make sure you have reserves. What is what what dollar amount reserves? That's really kind of a game kind of idea, right? We usually figure out around eight to nine months is what you should estimate the rental should be. And the remaining months, three to four months of the year, is reserves for other things. That's what we kind of game plan against. But certain networks and certain areas may be lesser or more depending on the situation. You know, taxes go up. You're now required to pay the tax bill. And if rents don't go up, you're not in a good spot to raise them, right? Because you may lose some stuff. Um, Vice versa, right? So yeah, we all hope to get appreciation we don't know if it's actually going to happen until it does. So I wouldn't count on winning at the casino until you actually do. That's that. That's a great. That's a great quote, right? I wouldn't count on winning at the casino until you actually do. Give me the chips first, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yes. So, so one of the things that I think about when I hear you talk about the reserve and the amount of reserve is that is great for somebody who's thinking about being a landlord, but. If you already find yourself in a sticky situation, you are a landlord, you've been a landlord, and you are in a situation where your life has changed, what are the best things to do in order to get out of the situation where before it gets bad? Absolutely. So the first and foremost thing in real estate is networking. You want to do is make sure to reach out to others who are in your position, right? Speak at local readers or speak to other landlords and say, hey, listen, I'm going to buy. We often don't want to talk about our shortcomings. We only want to talk about our wins, which in the case of the situation is it definitely does a deficit for you if you don't talk to others who may understand your problem, right? We want to relate to each other. And I promise you other landlords have been through your spot before, especially experienced ones. So just sharing your fears or sharing your problems, they may come up with some solutions. Now, you may be in a spot where now you bought wrong and we can't do anything about the buying wrong process. But if we can't solve it where the tenant's bad and we can't evict or we're scared to evict, we don't know how to evict, and we don't go through that, let's open the drawer and see if the monster's really that big. If the monster's not that big, go attack it. May you have to evict, right? The emotion of kicking out a mother and a child is very, very emotional. At the same time, it's still business. If they're not making payment, they have to leave, right? And you work through the court system to do that. 
However, if you've got in a spot where you just the house is falling apart, you're putting too much money into it, and the tenant's paying and they're doing their part, there comes a time where A, you may have to actually sell the property if you have equity, or B, you may be in a spot, talk to your lender to see if you have options with your loan. Explain what's going on. Fortunately, sometimes you may have to just sit there and say, listen, I can't do it. And that sometimes happens, but that's better than sitting there and for getting foreclosed on. As, as lenders who we've dealt with foreclosures, we've I've actually done it where a landlord said, I can't do it. I need to give the property back to you. And they've given that property back to us and all the headaches and problems, and we've taken over. Now, it's not the goal and game plan, but it gives you the opportunity to restart. Maybe you now learn, you've went to school, and you've learned what it means to be a landlord and what you should look out for for the next property you're going to buy. I wouldn't let it stop you. I would just let it learn as education, right? This is all about learning. And go to the next property and make sure you're buying it right, not buying on this idea. And sometimes it's hard to do it based on the idea. And the first asset I bought, I did terrible deal. But I learned from it and bounced back from it. Yeah. I think we all have done terrible deals if, if you've been investing in real estate long enough. Yeah. So one of the highlights that I that you said in your in your in your last statement was about being able to sell it. And I literally was talking to a homeowner this week and she owns two investment properties. And she recently got foreclosure notices on those properties, although the tenants are paying and she is collecting rent. Her financial situation with her main job was kind of out of whack and she lost her main job. And so she was basically using all the rental income to supplement her lifestyle and not paying the mortgage. But the beauty of her situation is that she bought her properties, you know, over, over seven years ago and they both have appreciated and and she wasn't delinquent along the way. And so my advice to her was to sell the properties. And I think one of the things that we forget as landlord sometimes is that if you own a property or not even as a landlord, just as a homeowner, if you bought a property within the last, you know, more than five years ago, you probably have a significant amount of equity. And if you haven't been delinquent multiple times, you haven't done lots of modifications or things like that, you are most likely in a position where you can sell the property and get a win. And when I say get a win, pay off the mortgage and get some cash in your pocket. And so that is definitely one of the highlights um, that you mentioned in your previous statement that we have to make sure everybody understands is that you can sell the property. You can sell it with a tenant inside. You don't have to break their lease. You don't have to kick them out. You can sell it as is, where is, and people are happy to buy that. There are investors in the current market clamoring for properties. And so that's just one thing you must keep in mind if you are a homeowner and you are a landlord and you're facing foreclosure. Do not give up and just hand over the keys without evaluating the situation totally. Yeah. One of the, a few things real quick is that I dealt with, with foreclosed on properties that have equity. I can't understand that, but I don't have to understand it. So a lot of borrowers, landlords and or homeowners into this fear or the emotional part of this, right? I have two kids. I can't make the payment anymore. I'm a bad buy. What do I do? I don't want to move up, move my kids out of school. So that emotional tie to that house is less about financial, more about emotional. Like I can't make the payment, but I don't want to make my sell my house because I'm afraid of my kids. My advice is always look back in retrospect. If you were to date, would you buy that house? 
right now than in the spot where it's at. If you could take yourself out of your emotion and think logically, it sometimes gives you the answer you're looking for. So if I said to you, would you buy the house? If you were an investor, would you buy the house you're in right now or a homeowner in the spot you're in right now? If the answer is no, that gives you the answer you should sell the house. At every moment in your life, you say, if I would do it today, would I still do that same thing? That often gives you the advice you need to know, should I do it now or not? If the answer is, hey, yeah, I'd buy it right now, even in a situation, then make it work. But if you're a homeowner who's struggling, doesn't have the income, has a struggle, so like that, you have to look, weigh the pros and cons of your kids in school. But listen, I wouldn't buy that house. I'd buy this other house, which is cheaper, more affordable for my family. If that's the answer, go do that answer. Get out, sell, buying that house and go on to a house that you can afford. This will affect you longer if you sit there and just hold your money, right? And not make the mortgage payment and have this weight on your shoulders. That's more than any money you can pay for and you'll sleep better at night. And I'm sure your spouses will be much more appreciative of the environment you're in because you've actually won. You didn't lose. You didn't lose your house. You've won because you've made a future goal for your family. I, you know, y'all, this is a shameless plug, but I got to do it. Hey, my new book comes out February 7th, The Foreclosure Fix, 12 Proven Steps to Beat the Bank, Escape Foreclosure, and Turn Your Property into a Profitable Asset. And the reason I had to do that plug right there is because you just said it. People think by selling that they lose or people think by getting out of the situation they lose. No, you win. That's how you beat the bank is by making sure they don't foreclose on your house. And so keep that in mind. If you're a landlord facing foreclosure, selling is a great option, even if that means that, hey, you don't have investment property anymore. It is OK. Um, Dave, that brings us to my favorite part of the podcast, which is the bow tie round. And in the bow tie round, the B stands for your best advice for someone facing foreclosure. The O stands for one thing you're grateful for. And the W stands for your wildest or most interesting foreclosure related story. All right. So, Dave, give us your B. What's your best advice for somebody facing foreclosure? We mentioned earlier communication, right? We need to make sure you're communicating to all parties involved. This doesn't mean only your landlord, your 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 Maybe your landlord's reason, maybe your your tenant, maybe your your lender, but also means other friends and families. Communicate as much as you possibly can because you may find a solution that you'd never thought about before. So communicate even to your local area and ask questions. Communication will solve a lot of your issues. May not give all your answers that you want, but you'll probably hear sell the property, find a maintenance guy, find this, find that. He'll probably give you the answer that you need. The one thing I'm grateful for, and I, I, DJ knows this more than anything else, is my network, right? My network and my family are my two things. I lean on everyone for everything, right? If I didn't have my network or my family, I don't know where I'd be. So other people is my one thing that I'm extremely grateful for. Because without that, I would not be anywhere close to where I'm at today. My wildest foreclosure story is has to do with a lot of different things, right? And it's hard to give you one. However, the story about my landlord who really went dark on me. Problem was that she was scared. She was fearful. She didn't know what to do. And a lot of our borrowers are in this exact same spot. We've had a borrower who literally sat there and cried on the phone to us. We've had borrowers who went dark and went completely oblivious to only find out that they were free because of the fact that they lost their job and didn't want to tell anyone, they didn't want to tell their family. But the biggest one story we had was the fact that a father actually went ahead and 
got foreclosed on simply to pay his college tuition for his kids. I understand the emotion behind doing all this stuff, but when you're collecting money from a tenant or a borrower in a situation, you have to put aside a lot of things. The biggest thing that you have to understand is that if you're paying a bill to someone else, you don't want to lose your home. You don't want to lose that pride and joy. The home is not an object in the ground. It's actually where you call home. So if you have to sell the property and get a different home, that's okay. If you have to sell your investment property and buy a new one three years from now, that's okay. You have to swallow that pride sometimes and do what's right for you and your family. I would not lose my property, either my investment property, over something that can be solved. And sometimes what solves it is the pride, right? Selling that property is a pride thing. But you now saved yourself. So do yourself a favor, communicate, talk to people, and don't do things that are foolish. We literally foreclosed on the guy who had equity in his property and used all his money to pay his kids' college tuition. We had a property came back to us with equity. Why? Why is that possible? Why do people do that? And I don't understand it, but it's not for me to understand. I just wish someone like DJ was around at the time when, we, when this guy faced it to realize that he doesn't need to get foreclosed on. And unfortunately, he lost all the equity in his house. It was a shame. Man, that's a that's a sad story, but it's a story we hear so often. Um, and that's the reason why the foreclosure fix is here, y'all. We want to help a million homeowners successfully navigate foreclosure. So please, 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 if you resonate with the content, share it with someone who you know may be facing foreclosure, someone who you know can benefit, a family member um, who, who may need this information, because we just want to get the word out. Dave. Do us a favor, let our listeners know how they can get in contact with you, how they can follow your journey, how they can reach out to JKP Holdings if they if they want to invest or whatever else may be the case. Absolutely. Please feel free. We have YouTube channel, Facebook groups, Facebook uh, page. We do live calls. Just go to jkpholdings.com. You can go to the About Us page and get a contact to our team over there if you're looking to buy, sell, or just have questions, especially borrowers who are stuck. I'd love to help you guys out if I can. And I would refer you back to DJ for any particular question you may have, but we can also give you our advice on what we would do in that scenario. So feel free to go to any of our social media pages, which should be found back on our website, jkpholdings.com. Dave, thanks so much for being a guest today. And hey, Foreclosure Fix family, I appreciate y'all for tuning in. Do me a favor, check out my new book coming out February 7th, The Foreclosure Fix, 12 Proven Steps to Beat the Bank escape foreclosure and turn your property into a profitable asset. Um, $20 could save you 20,000. Y'all, this is DJ Lojo signing out. I love you. God bless you. And I'll talk to you soon. Take care. The views and opinions on this podcast are for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice. If you have a specific legal question, we highly recommend you contact a qualified legal professional.